Jalen and Jacoby, the after show is proudly presented by State Farm. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now, Jalen and Jacoby. Welcome to the Jalen and Jacoby after show presented by State Farm and focused on the 10-episode documentary series, The Last Dance. Jalen, there's so much going through my head after watching episode two. Scotty Pippen. Wow. Surgery. Scotty Pippen demanded a trade from the team that won five championships and featured the greatest basketball player of all time. My mind is still reeling from what I just watched. We're going to shift our focus to episode two, much like the documentary shifted its focus from the season, 97-98, with the Bulls and a little bit about Michael Jordan's background. But we learned a lot about Scottie Pippen of that Bulls team, not just about what he meant to the Bulls and what he was going through at the time during that season, but his upbringing in Arkansas, his draft onto the Bulls. Jalen, why is it so important that we know so much about Scottie Pippen to tell the story of Michael Jordan and these Bulls? Well, he was the greatest sidekick of all time. And, and as you alluded to, coming from a small college, he was underheralded in a lot of ways. People were surprised he went high as he did in the draft. You have to give Jerry Cross a lot of credit for understanding the potential that Scottie Pippen had. And as he ascended, that's when they went from being a Michael Jordan dominant scoring centric team to a squad that continued to move the basketball, play in the triangle. And while of course MJ was still going to be that dominant player, you need somebody else that was going to play at an all NBA level. If he was going to up in the Lakers, the Celtics and the Pistons. And initially when Scotty played against the bad boy Pistons and he caught his migraines, they weren't able to get past that squad. And as he matured and got a lot better, he became a, a game changer, a two-way player, a point forward, somebody that complimented not only MJ Will, but playing multiple positions, was really smart and versatile. So he was a guy that deserved all of the accolades that he got, and that's why he won the top 50 players to ever do it. So, Jalen, one thing that episode two did that, again, like I, what I mentioned before, is this is so good at sort of filling in the gaps in your memories of these teams. Because we always think about these two sets of three-peats. We think about this invincible team. But in the season that they're focused on, in 1997, the Bulls did not start hot. Without Scottie Pippen, they really did not jump out of the gates. And you being on a competitive, a competitive team in the same conference, do you feel that perhaps this Bulls team – was beatable, that this Bulls team wasn't like the other Bulls teams before and that this was going to be the year that the Pacers were going to beat the Bulls. Absolutely, because if you look back at who was coaching the All-Star game because their squad has the best record at that point of the season, that would be Larry Joe Burr, Rick Carlisle, and Dick Harder of the Indiana Pacers. So we were very conscious of not only their record but trying to get home court advantage which ultimately ended up deciding our series as we played them so many times during that year. And unfortunately for Scotty, that season, other than winning the championships and all of the great accolades that he was able to achieve, it's still marred by the fact that teammates, since you signed the deal, can look at it like you were being selfish and sabotaging their year by not getting your surgery in the summer, but getting it at the beginning of the season. But then at the same time, you're a competitor. The, the organization is basically thumbing their nose at you, acknowledging that they're not going to readjust your contract. So it was a unique storm that he was put into. Uh, a lot of people would have handled it the way he did 
And because of that, he doesn't get the love that I think he really deserves. But MJ never won a championship without Scottie Pippen. Now, Jim, we're going to hear later from the director of the film, Jason Hare, and his perspective on this decision from Scotty. We heard from Michael Jordan himself with his perspective on the decision from Scotty, and we heard from sort of the front office and the Bulls organization. And there's two sides to this. There's I've been underpaid. I've been underappreciated. I've been disrespected. I need a different contract. I'm not going to get surgery. I'm going to join my summer. And the other side is, well, you're obligated to the team. You made a commitment to your teammates. You made a commitment to the city. You made a commitment to the franchise. You signed a contract. You should obligate that contract. You always side with players. We've been doing this show for nine years. You always <laughs> side with players. But this one isn't so binary. It's not so cut and dry. So quickly, I just want to know, what do you think about Sky's decision to get the surgery at that point in the summer? Well, ultimately, when you sign the deal, you got to own it because you are cashing the checks. But this is unique, Jacoby, and here's why. How does management go into a year – after a squad led by Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson, basically tell them that Phil could go 82-0 and and they're not bringing him back. Like, how, how do you say that to an individual? How do you look at Michael Jordan after the number five and feel like you're going to break up the team, you're going to trade Scottie Pippen in the offseason? Scottie asked for a trade. He didn't want to be there anymore. They were their – most unhappy six championship winning team of all time. And it shouldn't be that way. So many great duos, not just in the NBA now, but in NBA history. You think about, of course, watching The Last Dance, Scotty and Mike. There's also Kobe and Shaq, LeBron and Wade. Just a few of the NBA duos that are undeniably the real deal. And we've got so many current duos, too. AD and LeBron, what's going to happen with Westbrook and Harden, and the future of KP and Doncic. There's so many great duos in the NBA beyond just Jalen and myself. Draft a State Farm agent to your team and get help combining the ultimate duo, home and auto insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen, I know there's a lot going on in the world right now. And we are all inside quarantine shopping online. I just saw that AT&T started doing two things that were really helpful for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact, safe delivery, and curbside pickup so that online shopping is simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease online. Right now, you can visit att.com, att.com, to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subject to change, restrictions apply. Jalen, appreciate your perspective, but we'd like to welcome back in to the Jalen Jacoby After Show, presented by State Farm, the director of The Last Dance, Jason Ayer. Jason. Man, trending all over the place. Jason Ayer. Bill Jackson, Michael Jordan, all trending. Episode two. And one thing that you did, a decision that you made, which was, it was pretty bold, was that you said, you know what? I'm going to start episode two with the story, not of Michael Jordan, but of Scottie Pippen. What was behind that decision for this episode? As captivating as Michael is and as culturally significant as he is, you're not going to spend 10 hours watching a story about anybody. So we knew when we started this thing that, we're going to tell the story of the Bulls dynasty through the lens of the 97-98 season starring Michael Jordan. 
But just like there are other team or other players who made up that team, there's there's other characters who make up this series. And Scotty is the Robin to Michael's Batman, as they said in the doc. Um, so it seemed like a good place to go. You know, we knew we wanted to do backstories about Dennis Rodman and about Phil Jackson and about Steve Kerr and about Scotty and of course Michael. So we had to look at the series, the season as a whole and say, okay, when is there an opportunity during the season to tell this person's backstory? Well, Steve Kerr, for instance, had some huge shots that he made in the playoffs during the Eastern Conference Finals, Jalen, against your Pacers. Mm. That's episode nine of the doc. That seemed like the right time to go back and tell his story. Uh, Dennis Rodman, after Scotty returns from an injury in episode two, you'll see that Dennis Rodman goes off the deep end in episode three. Seems like the right time to tell his backstory. In episode four, Phil needs to bring Dennis Rodman back in and incorporate Scotty back into the locker room and still manage all of those egos. Seems like the right time to tell his story in episode four. So it was really dictated by what was going on in the season and the master list of characters that we had at the outset when we started telling the story. As a player and as a competitor, I just, it, it always pains me to understand that history truly isn't going to appreciate Scottie Pippen for the player that he was. I know he's top 50 and he has six championships, but he still gets dismissed as Robin in a lot of ways. Mm. And it's not only because he played alongside MJ, it's because a lot of these moments when he wasn't getting his money made him look selfish and he acted out on those things. Do you feel like MJ has some resentment towards Scotty when he did things like didn't get surgery after the season and waited until training camp basically started and did it on company time? I don't think there was lingering resentment that affected the performance of the team. I think that Michael was exasperated. And as he plainly says, Scotty was being selfish. Um, he also said that Scotty thought he was going to force Jerry Reinsdorf's hand. And Michael knew better than anybody, you're not going to force Jerry Reinsdorf's hand. So I think he kind of rolled his eyes. Michael lives in the present, doesn't look back, doesn't look forward to this day. But certainly back then it was like, okay, here's what's in front of us. Here's the hand we've been dealt. Scotty got that surgery late. There's no way of changing that. How are we going to move forward? How are we going to survive in the Eastern Conference without him until he comes back in January. That was his mindset. He, It's impressive. There's a lot of things impressive about Michael, but his mental stamina and his mental fortitude to just say, I'm not going to concern myself with that because this is the situation in front of me. How do we best handle this now? That, as you know, Jalen, is as much of being a leader as performance on the floor. The um, the focus on Scotty to begin the episode was really well done. And also because Scotty's story during this period in that one particular season, your focus on is sort of like a through thread to the beginning of that season. But going back to Scotty's upbringing was interesting because we hadn't really seen that from Jordan yet. We had only seen sort of the, the University of North Carolina stuff in episode one. But in episode two, we went back even further. We got the sort of like the origin story of Batman to extend that metaphor a little bit too far. So, Jason – we all had seen the shot at North Carolina. We've seen the player of the year in college. We've seen the NBA stuff. But young Michael Jordan was still sort of an enigma, even to people that obsess over him like us. Tell me a little bit more about this character of Larry Jordan, who used to, his brother, who used to beat him in the backyard. Because I want to know what happened to Larry. I got brothers. Tell Larry. You. Rest in peace, Bill. I don't have a lot in common with Michael Jordan, but um, – I was the youngest of three boys, and he was too. 
He's got two sisters as well. But um, And I did have a lot of – I was on the losing end of a lot of games in the backyard. <laughs> um, it didn't forge me into the maniacal competitor it forged Michael into. But Larry was the best athlete early on in that family. And um, he had more in common with Michael's dad than Michael had with Michael's dad. And that was hard for Michael. So he – did whatever he could to vie for his dad's attention. And he saw Larry as blocking that. And that was the roots of that competitive fire that you see even to this day was that before he even had a basketball in his hand in his life, he was competing with his brother. And he says, you know, he credits Larry with being the the most ferocious competitor he's ever faced. And he said it made Larry and magic and all those guys look easy compared to uh, Larry bird and magic. And all those guys look easy. Uh, Larry now works for the Hornets, as does Ronnie, Michael's older brother. Um, but it's crazy when you look at the family picture of that family. It's it's there's a dozen reasons why I think Michael might might not be from this planet, and one of them is that when you see that family, they all look alike. I mean, Michael's definitely his parents' child biologically, but that family it goes five six five eight five seven five eight five eight. Six six five eight five two. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. But they all look exactly alike. I mean, Larry is the picture of his father. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they. But to this day, they're still. I mean, you can see there's there's still that same kind of brotherly sibling rivalry between them. So I'm glad you brought up a Larry. I want to talk about another one. His middle name is Joe. His last name is Bird. <laughs> and MJ. Late in the season, when nowadays teams are tanking for draft picks, forced the team to basically play him after an injury. Went to Carolina rehab. They brought him back, and he's playing seven minutes per half. Paxson makes a shot. Ultimately, a 30-win team makes it to the playoffs, play against the Celtics. This is his coming out party. How was it to discuss with him these games versus those Celtics. It was a dream for me because I'm from Boston. I grew up a, a Celtics fan, and um, and I was at the game that we're we're about to discuss in a second with my dad. So, and this was right around the time that Michael's posters were on my walls, and my brothers and I were fighting over who gets which poster when we're at the poster store, and um, who gets which T-shirt, who's going to wear which T-shirt. So. It was a thrill to discuss that. I, I want to discuss a little bit, though. You mentioned Michael insisting on coming back uh, when management didn't want him to. Just think of the, the the dichotomy between where the league went and, and where it was back then and where his head was. Scotty was going to get surgery late to punish the front office by costing them wins and costing them success in the short run. I don't think that Scotty was deliberately sabotaging the season, but this was his way of punishing the front office for this, his treatment. Michael's way of punishing the front office was to come back sooner and win more. It would have been very easy for him to say, all right, I'll take the rest of the year off. I'll go down to UNC and rehab. I'm sure he would have liked to hang out with his family in Wilmington, his friends in Chapel Hill. He says, no, I want to come back and I want to make the playoffs to punish you. I've said I'm going to make the playoffs every year. If we have a chance to do it. Let's go. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, but, yeah, talking to Michael about those games, I was glad to see him light up because he understood, after all these years, the significance of that coming out party, Jalen, as you called it, um, against a Celtics team that 
some argue still is the best of all time. And, and I think anyone who knows the NBA would argue it's certainly in the top 10 and probably the top five of all time. Obviously, we're talking about a 49-point game one loss in Boston and a 63-point game two loss in Boston. And Jalen and Jason were both discussing before we recorded an anomaly in in the box score from those games. Jalen, what exactly were you guys talking about? He didn't attempt a three-point shot. Just think about that. A perimeter player in today's game not attempting – a three-point shot, yet having 49 points against multiple Hall of Famers and arguably one of the greatest teams of all times, and then 63 in the next game. That's why Larry Bird called him Jesus in gym shoes. Mm -hmm. And also for a 23-year-old kid at that point, Mm. against one of the best teams of Mm. all time, to go into their floor at the Garden, 13 of 15 from the line in the first game. 30 win team. 19 of 21 in a double overtime game in the second game from the line. You wouldn't see that today from some of the best foul shooters in the league, let alone a 23-year-old kid walking into Boston Garden after taking the entire year off with a broken foot. Well, I mean, one thing that's been a theme throughout these first two episodes is sort of like the different sources of Michael Jordan's greatness. A lot of that is his sort of motivation and perceived slights and his competitive nature how much do you think that playoff performance after the restrictions, the minute restrictions were lifted, was sort of in a way not just a coming out party to him and the rest of the league and the fans, but also sort of a look at the front office and the minute restrictions and saying, I could have been doing this the whole time. Look at what I do when you take the sort of the leash off of my performance. I think it was absolutely that. I think it was, all right, once, once you take that stopwatch out of your hand and you just put it on the side and you let me go and you release this, this, this caged wild animal onto the floor – this is what I can do. This is what I'm capable of doing. So put the right pieces around me so that we can actually win some games. Because if I'm capable of doing this and taking the best team on the planet at the moment to double overtime with no supporting cast, imagine what I could do if you put the right pieces around me. So it was clearly a message to them. Hmm. Jason, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned putting the right pieces around him because also covered in this episode was – a very important trade, and that was a trade of Michael Jordan's close confidant and, frankly, protector on the floor, Charles Oakley. His bodyguard. The Knicks for, you know, his other pieces, for basically Bill Cartwright, a center who was um, obviously much taller and a better rim protector and more of a traditional center in, in the league at that time. And Jerry Krause obviously engineered this, and it ended up being a trade that really helped that team get better. So with Krause being, as you mentioned in the previous episode, the villain to Michael Jordan's hero, do you feel like he deserves more credit for the moves that he made in terms of the roster building around Michael Jordan for the team's success? Yes, because Jerry Krause loved Charles Oakley. He drafted Charles Oakley and was very proud of of finding these kind of diamonds in the rough. Uh, And and Charles Oakley was one of those. So he brought him to the team and Charles was – Charles was the second best player, you could argue, at the advent of the Doug Collins era. But Jerry recognized back in those days you needed a big man. You had to have someone in the middle who could actually be formidable against the other teams, especially in the East. Bill Cartwright, one of the teams in the East was was the Knicks that they needed to go up against, and Patrick Ewing. Bill Cartwright played alongside Patrick Ewing. Jerry was savvy enough to know that he played against Patrick Ewing every day in practice. And he would know how to defend him as well as anybody else in the league. So why not bring this guy in? We need a five. 
let's go get a veteran who can provide some leadership in the locker room and has a better insight into Patrick Ewing than anybody else on the planet. It was a savvy move. And I, and I also give Michael credit for this was one of his notes. We, we discussed off camera that, that Michael is an active notes giver in this, in the best possible sense. He hasn't policed us once. He hasn't told me once you cannot include that. You can't ask me this. You have to take this out. But he did say after watching a rough cut of episode two, you should add in that trade because that is one of the things that, that turned that team around. And at the time, he's honest in our interview about resenting it because Charles was his enforcer, as Jalen said, on the floor and his best friend off the floor. But even Michael now will acknowledge that that was the right time to make that move and it needed to be made and it was the right move. Jill. So fortunately for Jerry Krause, they accomplished so much and he ultimately became the villain. In doing all of these interviews, it really fascinates me that the goal is for everybody to win the championships. The Bulls did it six times, have excellence. They had MJ, had Scotty, had Phil. But yet there's always somebody that feels like they want to take the credit and it, you know, really crushes the future of the dynasty. What is the complicated legacy of Jerry Krause? Well, you pretty much said it right there. He's he's probably the most polarizing figure of that Bulls dynasty because, listen, anytime there's there's a problem with the team, the average fan is going to hate the front office because the star, the player on the floor, is most of the time the guy that the fan admires. And if there's a, if there's a money dispute, it's oftentimes a rich guy who's either owning the team or a very wealthy guy who's the GM. In that case, it was, it was Jerry Krause. So it's easy for a fan to immediately resent someone who's not on the floor day in and day out. But it is a complicated legacy because I think, as I mentioned earlier with you guys, that ice has thawed somewhat. And I think that you'll be surprised as the series goes on and as the series wraps up in, in three or four weeks from now, um, what the sentiment is towards Jerry now when everyone has the benefit of some hindsight and can say, you know what, here is what made those teams great. And let's give credit where credit's due. It's a really good point, Jason. And, you know, I'm fascinated, you know, last episode of the after show with Jalen Jacoby presented by State Farm, you told us a story about your first meeting with Michael Jordan and sort of what you wore and what you, what you drank and what he asked of you. And I just want to know more about the stuff we're not seeing and what is it like working with him? And you mentioned he sends notes. Like, does he use grammar? Does he capitalize things? How's his spelling? How long are the notes? Does he send them through somebody? Are his pants still oversized? Yeah. Just like, I just want to know all the details. When you see in your inbox, Michael Jordan, like how long are the emails? Do you click on them? What kind of notes? It doesn't does he happen do? like that. It Has he appreciated like you? Have you gotten a present from him? Like, tell me more about what it's like to work with Michael Jordan. So few of us have. He is somewhere high in a castle somewhere over a golf course somewhere in, in, in Florida right now. It doesn't happen like that. We get aggregated notes because there's so many partners here. We have Netflix executives who are the Michael Jordans of their business. We have ESPN executives who are likewise. We have the NBA executives, NBA entertainment, and then NBA corporate and the Jordan brand. So there's a total of a little less than a few dozen people giving notes on every single episode. Um, and then there's one person who aggregates those notes and then communicates them to me and my team. So it's not like he, Michael's texting me and saying, take that out or, or walking in the edit room and saying, who, 
what we having for lunch today. It's not like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, obviously he wields as much power as anybody. And if Michael says, I want this in, it's going to be in. But he hasn't exerted that power to the detriment of the documentary once. Like I said, like, it's crazy. I was, I was talking to our friend Aaron Cohen last night and saying, like, Hey, now, Steve, what up, though? Now that he is, now that we're all quarantined, we're, it's kind of like the great equalizer here. We're all stuck inside. So he has more time to watch these rough cuts. And I was saying to Aaron that the notes he's giving are really good. They're really helping the episodes. Like, it shouldn't surprise any of us that he's also the Michael Jordan of directing documentaries. The guy can do all whatever fast. he wants. So, um, I don't want people to get the, the sense that like he's censoring us and he's watching these cuts and he's saying, take that out. I mean, as the series goes on, you'll see that there's a lot of stuff that's not particularly flattering, but I give him credit for his candor and his honesty in, in putting it out there and telling the whole story. Well, as much as I'm interested in Michael Jordan in this documentary, Jalen Rose has one particular fascination with it and he's obsessed with the soundtrack. So Jalen, <laughs> I know you've been waiting to do this. Go ahead and talk to your boy Jason about some of the. Well, well I, I was listening to the tunes. I heard some May, some LL, some Rock Kim. Those are the glory days. So, what went into the soundtrack for these ten episodes? Well, you and I share an affinity in Jacoby as well for golden era hip hop. Yes. And- you know, it's not my fault that they played in the 80s and 90s. And if we're going to have accurate music sure. that chronologically uh, fits the time, then we have to use some 80s and 90s rap. So um, that was a really fun little side project for me because I'm such a, a student of that era of music and a lover of that genre. Um, so we tried our best to have every song be chronologically accurate. So if we're looking back to, you know, 86 is when I'm bad came out. And Michael scored 63 points. Uh, like a muscle ball man and put his face in the sand. Exactly. Um, but we have, you know, throughout this thing, we try to be as accurate as we can. When, when we do the 92 season and their, their, their attempt to uh, have a, their first back-to-back title, you'll hear Black Sheep, Choice is Yours, because that's from 92. When you uh, see their 93 going for their first three-peat that season, you'll hear some naughty by nature. So we try to do songs that are very accurate to, if not the year, then at least the era. But you're talking about um, already in episode one, we had Puffy, Mason, Biggie. We had Eric B. Episode two, we had LL. You're going to have Prince, Beastie Boys, Tribe Called Quest, um, Nas, Lauren Hill, Special Ed, uh, KRS-One. Bars! It runs the gamut. And I, I give... Um, Rudy Chung and Justin Feldman at Hit the Ground Running. That's the music supervising company that we're using. They're the guys who have been busting their asses to clear these songs because every time there's a sample in a song, that counts as a writer. Mm. So, for for instance, we tried to clear Wicked by Ice Cube. 48 writers. 48 writers. (laughs) You have to locate all 48 of these writers and get them to agree to a fee. And imagine what that sliver looks like when you cut that pie into 48 pieces. So clearing music from that era, we all love that music, all of us on this show at least, but it's a music supervisor's nightmare because they have to do so much digging. It's not just one guy in a studio with his guitar. It's dozens of people all over the world. And some songs you can't clear. The the, the labels won't do it. The original version of Welcome to the Terror Dome, they won't clear it. You can't get that cleared? 
there's so many samples in there, Jalen, that sometimes they don't know where it's from and they don't want someone coming out of the woodwork and suing them and saying, hey, that's my grandfather's saxophone note that played in there two minutes into the song. So some songs you just can't clear. But we did our best to uh, to play some of the greatest hits, some of the less obvious stuff. There's some hits on there. You'll hear Fantastic Voyage later on in a certain moment. You'll hear some stuff that's radio friendly, but then you'll hear some deeper cuts as well. Well, Jalen and I particularly appreciate that part of this documentary, and we appreciate you joining us so much to recap this every single episode on the Jalen Jacoby After Show presented by State Farm. But before we let you go, Jason, just give us a little teaser. You did. You told us when we're going to get Rodman. You know, just give us a little teaser of what we have to look forward to in episode yes. three and four. Yes. I think Jalen will be very interested in watching his favorite pro team the rise and fall of the bad boys of the Chicago Bulls. Oh, wow. See, I see. Now, I'm not going to lie in the microphones. Jalen and I have seen this part. You took out your laptop and played us this section of the documentary. We didn't want you to ever push stop on that space bar. It was absolutely riveting, and it is a very, very important moment in NBA history, and I've never, ever, ever seen it discussed, dissected like this. That is in episode three. I think we get some Rodman backstory in episode four. And you will always get myself, Jalen, the director of The Last Dance, Jason. Oh, man. I got to go get some more my ties for that one, Jason. By State Farm. Thank you so much, Jason. We look forward to talking to you again about episode three and episode four. Jalen, I can't believe they allowed us, little old us, Jalen Jacoby, to host the after show of this groundbreaking Guaranteed to be award-winning documentary about the greatest of all time, Michael Jeffrey Jordan. I want to thank the people at ESPN that gave us the honor of hosting this. I want to thank Jason Hare for joining us. And I want to thank Michael Jordan for being brave enough to allow us to make this documentary. (laughs) I can't wait to return to this show. We'll be back after every episode chunk drop. We'll be talking about three and four next. Thank you for listening to the Jalen Jacoby After Show presented by State Farm.